You are listening to... Woohoo! 11 o'clock poop. I done fucked it up. Let me try it again. <laughs> you almost said bullpen bullets. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, Raging bullets. You are listening. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Come on. Settle the hell down. <laughs> oh, this is good. This is the all gaff episode. Yeah, I'm on my third beer, so. I cannot I'm, wait for the drink roll call. I'm rounding the turn on Stupidville. Here we go. I'm so giddy. <laughs> you are listening to 11 o'clock. Let me do one more time. No, no, stop laughing. Stop. You're, you're making me... St- <laughs> making him giggle. He is. I feel like Dom DeLuise and Cannibal Run. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and never, ne- never having met you face-to-face, that will, that will now be my mental image. Of you oh, shit. Oh, no, he's, he's very svelte. Very tall, very svelte. Good-looking uh, guy. Oh, stop it. Vince would know. I would. You are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 12. Woohoo! Oh, again, come on, one more time. <laughs> I couldn't, I was laughing. All right. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you. Say, kids, what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> Language City is a beautiful place We all know Hello and welcome to 11 O'Clock Comics. I am Vince B. I'm Christopher Neesman and I'm finding my happy place. <laughs> I'm David Price. And I am Stephen Baldwin. Oh, you you love to rake the muck, don't you? <laughs> Otherwise known as Jason Wood. What's going on? Hey, buddies. How are Hi. you, Hi. Everything's in its right place this week. It's Comic Book Wednesday once again. Thank God. It's eleven o'clock. It's eleven o'clock, and here we is. Here we oh, be. Yeah. yeah, and and Jason was very eager to do the drink roll call oh. uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why. I so, was. Uh, I'll start it off. It's usually Chris's baby, but you know what? We should let Chris go last. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I need to take a drink anyway. So. I I just have to say thank you, George Killian. Let 
for making a brew that don't taste like shit. <laughs> Nipsey Russell, I'm not. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, no, it's David. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Seniority. Uh, <laughs> grape, uh, grapefruit juice and vodka. Respect, respect. Yeah. I didn't. I, it was, it was going to be a, a vodka martini, but that didn't happen. Having been so disappointed in myself last week for just drinking beer, I uh, went ahead and, and made myself a superhero drink. So I'm drinking an Incredible Hulk. What is that? Glad you asked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, need, we needed to kill a couple minutes. It's two parts Hennessy, three parts hypnotic. Wow, what the hell is that? Oh, hypnotic uh, is good. But what, but what, is, what, what, what type of alcohol is it? It is a mixture of cognac, vodka, and assorted fruit juices. Oh, Jesus. So the hypnotic comes in a, it's a blue, it's a blue yeah. mixture. Yeah. It comes in a bottle pre-mixed, and then when you put the Hennessy in, it turns Hulk green. Wow, wow. so you've got, you've got cognac, 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 and vodka. Correct. And juice. And, and, and juice. juice. That would kill me. That, that, he's, like, he's like the Kool-Aid man. That drink would put me right in the hospital. I plan uh, on streaking nude shortly after we end up uh, this conversation. Well, the Tiki on the forum keeps uh, passing along these absinthe drinks. Oh, I am getting yeah, some. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess I'll have to go out and buy myself a $100 bottle of absinthe so I can drink it. <laughs> oh, but don't you think it would be so worth it, though? I do. I, yeah. Yes. And, and inevitably, whenever when anyone talks about mind-altering substances, they got to bring up Morrison. That, you know, there's not many things that, that frost my ass, but that does. It's <laughs> true. You know, the coolest thing about absinthe is getting the, the cool spoon that you, that you use to, yeah. to mix the sugar in with. So. And whenever I think of absinthe, I think of the creepy magician dude in Carnival. Our Carnival, yeah. yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that. Nice, nice. We, we talked about that last week on, uh, on Around yes. Comic. Yes, what you a, did. What a killer show. Terrible ending, but killer show. But go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there was no <laughs> ending. Well, there was no ending, and 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 thanks for correcting me. It is Daniel Knopf and not David Knopf. I was right, thinking yeah, of da- you, Daniel. <laughs> oh, thank. No, you were talking to Dave Wachter. It was uh, yeah. Daniel's the creator, and Daniel and Charles are the comic book writer team, and their father son. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Charles is Daniel's son. Mm-hmm. And they do good stuff. Well, oh, I guess I should um, let you know what I'm drinking, and yes. uh, I, I'm going uh, old school. Uh, like really, really old school tonight, like 1800s. Uh, I'm drinking an old fashioned, and oh, uh, yes. this is a, it's a really nice way to step into the world of bourbon um, it, it, without having to just drink straight whiskey or or knock it down with with water or ice cubes. But you still keep the whiskey flavor without uh, totally losing it in mixers like um, colas or soda or ginger ale or um, or sweet and sour uh, mixes it's basically it's a very it's a very simple drink it is um, simple sugar syrup or a sugar cube uh, dissolved in an equal amount of water it's uh, uh, served uh, with ice cubes a couple of dashes of bitters and two ounces of uh, bourbon whiskey and I prefer Jim Beam and you stir that with a uh, spoon and throw a, uh, a half of a, an orange slice if you have one around and a maraschino cherry and there you go it is a, a tasty little uh, little bourbon drink good for sitting 
on the back deck and uh, and just enjoying a nice summer evening. So, and and if anybody for if anybody didn't write that recipe down, where can <laughs> they get it? You can find that tomorrow <laughs> or actually today uh, at ifanboy.com. I'm writing a weekly article there called Comic Shots, and you'll get a preview of the drink each week here on 11 O'Clock Comics, and then you just head on over to ifanboy.com, and there will be a corresponding comic book review, and uh, you get to read all about the drink and the comic that goes with it, and so it's a little different twist on the uh, the comic book review articles that are out there. I've been having a lot of fun with it, and I can't wait for next week, because it's a really fun one. You know, you did a little bit of talking on the forum about Manhattans. Mm-hmm. That's an old lady drink. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> it, it is. You know, I went to a wedding on Saturday briefly. Uh-huh. I, I won't take up anybody's <laughs> time, but I swear, every blue-haired old lady was hunched over a Manhattan like the mugwumps in David Cronenberg's <laughs> Naked Lunch. They mm-hmm. were just sucking the hell out of them. They were sticking their tongues and licking the ice in the damn thing. It's, it's my, my mother was drinking it. It's hot. That's oh, hot. It's, it's an old lady Dude, drink. That's hot. Oh, yeah. Hey, man. Man, if they're, if they're drinking Manhattans, I bet you every one of those old broads would have kicked your ass. That's okay. <laughs> I believe it. And, and I went up to the bar to get my mother one. She's, and uh, as soon as I told the, the bartender, who was hot, by the way, um, to to make me a Manhattan, was, it, it was like I asked her to shit in a glass. It was like, <laughs> oh, I never, I never knew the preparation that went behind that thing. It's she's mixing and pouring. And she she poured she poured ice in the glass and then let it sit with water or something while she was doing something else. Then she poured that out and put the mixture in it and and strained it with this ukulele looking thing on top of the glass. I was like, what is going on here? Oh, so the, so they were, they were doing it. Uh, um, they were serving them up. And martini glasses. You're you're not speaking my language. I have no idea what you're <laughs> yeah. doing. Nice. That's I like them that way. So well, yeah. Hey. I mean, and then and they're a very attractive looking drink. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying, it, it just seems like you know it's for the the uh, the over sixty five set. Yeah. Wow. Hey, what's next, Chris? Ne- ne- uh, a rusty week. nail. Uh, a rusty nail may make an appearance. Now, see, they're all going to be comic accurate, and and once you once you read the article tomorrow, you'll get the connection that the old fashioned has with the comic that that I uh, that I reviewed. And uh, should should I give you a little bit of a tease for next week? Sure, hell yeah. Ne- next week's drink is called an El Chupacabra. Oh, I can get into that. Proof. <laughs> Must be doing proof. Oh, I'll def- wait till next week. <laughs> All right. I, you know what? It, you could have just ran with the old drink and, you know, the uh, the boozing angle, but you got this conceptual thing that's really cool. I like it. And I would expect no less from you. <laughs> For real. Yeah. It's an excuse to drink as I eat a cherry. Well, we have a little bit of business to take care of before we launch into this. We, we got yes, we do. We got a letter from Cameron Merkler of uh, DCBS uh-huh. and, and, and in stock trades uh, through our wonderful friend Mr. Zach Cruz on the phone. Cool. Okay, uh, DCBS has this really cool program going on. It's called the First Light Program, and in Cameron's own words. We wish to help people to find the books they will want to read as soon as they come out. Since the cost of publishing is going up and up, we want to make certain that there is real value to any books that are purchased through this site. And that's DCBS, DCBService.com. 
There are many different ways to buy books on First Light. We provide websites to Discount Comic Book Service, InStockTrades.com, and the publisher's own site. That is cool. If available, to give customers several purchasing options. If you wish to submit a book for the First Light treatment or just have some comments or concerns, individuals can use the Contact Us link on the First Light page and send us a note. If there are creators who do not yet have their items listed with Diamond, this is very cool. This is the part that I like. We are more than happy to work with them in making their creations available to DCBS customers. Once creators do have their product listed with Diamond, we will encourage them to foster that relationship, and we are still more than happy to offer special discounts or other promotional items to help encourage new readership. That is very cool because it we've is. all we've all heard those horror stories of Brian Defferding, right? Of an aspiring creator <sighs> like Brian Defferding submitting his book to Diamond, and someone at Diamond deems the book not worthy of their time or attention. Bullshit. They should carry mm -hmm. everything. No matter what it is. I, I mean, within the realms of good taste and law. Uh, well, not even the good taste. Hell, ask Clay Wilson. There's not much good taste in that. But I'm just saying, it, within the realms of, of, of what's legal, mm -hmm. and there should be no aesthetic judgment at all. Just take the product, distribute the product, take your fees. Sure. But, and this is, this is a neat little way around it. And kudos to Cameron for doing mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. and, and Zach Cruz for facilitating this communication we have. Well, another friend of the show, um, Martheus Wade, is I think one of the first first books that that was part of this program. He he's putting out a book. You know, he's got the tales of the Toshigawa and his character Jetta, mm -hmm. and he's got a book coming out with Billy Tucci. Um, it's a Jetta She crossover book, and much like um, you were just saying, they 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 Martheus has not been able to get his books carried by Diamond. So, which Cameron, is insane. Yeah, so Cameron is offering that. Um, through DCBS, and um, this was, I guess, two, three months ago now, uh, they offered the first issue, and it was very cool because Martheus was so grateful he offered to do free head sketches of a character of your choice right. if you ordered the book through DCB service. So it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. It's, it's, uh, I'm with you, Vince. I, I hope a lot of independent artists um, in the community try and take advantage of this. Now, now just for the sake of uh, argument, say Raw Magazine was published today. And you know the, the caliber of artists that appeared in Raw Magazine, Art Spiegelman, mm -hmm. Mark Beyer. What if someone at, the, at Diamond took a look at this and said, oh my God, this is garbage. Someone not attuned to this type of artwork and didn't know what the goal was. What if Raw was never published? I mean, it's, it boggles mm -hmm. the mind that someone could have this power at a distributor to judge what what's good and what's not it's it's nuts so yeah this is great uh, and i'm i'm very happy that we've finding some common ground wood you and i have been agreeing like mad today you know we really have it's it's kind of scary that means we're probably due for a big argument a big blow up yeah, yeah or the end of the world <laughs> this is, yeah we can't have this all right so what i mean what have we been reading there's, I, I've read a lot of stuff this week, but I'm just going to defer to you guys because if I start talking, I'm going to get all giddy and gushy, and you know. So you guys go. Mm. Don't all talk at once. <laughs> picked up and really enjoyed uh, Conan the Sumerian. Oh, me oh. too. Wasn't it? Uh, it gorgeous. <laughs> Roger Corbin is freaking awesome. Yes, he is, especially on Ghost Rider. But yes, he is. Isn't it a Frank Cho cover as well? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Mine is it's, coming uh, tomorrow, or no, Friday, through DCB. Or, did I say Roger Corbin? That, mm-hmm. that, that would be the wrong Corbin. <laughs> he he of the fan, of the really bad uh, Fantastic Four movie. No, Richard <laughs> Corbin. Which uh, did you guys pick up the new Hellboy comic last week? That that's Richard Corbin or uh, Roger Corman, by the way. Sorry. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> No, well, no, I've, I been ter- I've been terrible with names the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's all the Manhattans you drink. Apparently. Um, yeah, so yes. did you guys pick up Hellboy last week? Mm-hmm. No. But the, the one that was done by Richard Corbin, oh, not yeah. Roger Corman. It's, no. it's, it's like boobies. I cannot resist a Richard Corbin book. I follow that man everywhere. Is, Is he number three on your list, Vince? No, he's up there, but he's not number three. And and it was beautiful. Uh, and have you seen the advance solicitations for the covers of the the Conan? Uh, uh, stuff? Yeah, no, of the Hellboy with Richard Corbin. Oh no, no! Uh, is that the 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 Crooked Man? Is that a three yeah. issue? Yes, issue? There, there, there's one cover that he did with the old guy looking up at the re at the the viewer, and he's got this goofy Marilyn Manson one eye going the other way with the pupil and it's just creepy as hell and he nails the expression it's just very unsettling and and I would expect nothing less from Corbin Corbin has a way with with facial expressions it's really really good yeah. oh, he's he's great I was, um and speaking of Hellboy uh anybody see the movie yet not no. yet how was it not yet loved it loved it go see it, That's, Give it- I, I, I won't I won't I won't talk any any more about it just, well, just, just read it for me it. relative to the Hulk and Iron Man, because I know you saw those two. Uh, on, on par, uh, to- completely different. It's a mm-hmm. it's a uh, Guillermo del Toro film, so visually it is completely different than what you're going to find in the Hulk or Iron Man. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I liked it better than the first Hellboy, and cool. I was completely entertained. It's it's a flawed movie. There, it has problems, but. Uh, uh, I felt like I got my money's worth. Was totally entertained, and uh, yeah, it's it stacks right up with uh, with the best geek movies that have been coming out this year. So cool. it was yep, very entertained. Well, I'm not too hot on the first movie. Me neither. Uh, yeah, I don't. I better. don't think it was one of Del Toro's best efforts. This looks it looks better, and I think the story is much much simpler, and it mm-hmm. totally survives on its visuals and and about a half hour of of kind of uh, mid movie humor that uh, um, that that you'll know whenever you get to that point in the movie. But it's 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 action 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 funny moment action action funny moment action action cut. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now, Chris, uh, where does Marta sit on the scale of them? I mean, I know that uh, obviously David's talked about uh, Renee liking comics mm-hmm. and somewhat. My wife really has no no tolerance for comics, but she's pretty much game to see any kind of movie, summer blockbuster movie. So, how about Marta? Where does she stand? Um, she takes it in stride. She <laughs> want she wanted to see uh, the new Batman movie until mm-hmm. all the hype got going and now she doesn't want to because she knows that it's going to be a madhouse and she's kind of getting sick of it and uh, literally yeah yeah it's she's getting sick of all the hype and uh the hellboy that we went and saw hellboy the first one that came out she's still kind of pissed at me about that one but 
<laughs> uh, you know, in, in general, she's okay. She's read several graphic novels. She's she's a um, a pretty ferocious reader uh, mm-hmm. of novels, prose, and it just kind of how she's wired up. It's hard for her to stop and appreciate uh, the art aspect of comics so she'll she'll tell she will tear through a 180 page graphic novel in you know 40 minutes Ooh, yeah uh, because she reads them and mm-hmm. and she just gathers the information just fast enough to um to know what's kind of going on visually she doesn't you know i'm you know i i read at a much slower pace than she does with with comics so yeah, but she tries well, it, it depends. Well, you're in a lot better shape than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell, Vince. Do tell. Oh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, for those who don't know, my wife is a physician assistant, very clinical, very uh, medical-minded, science-minded. She has no time for, for art. None. She just tolerates it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as movies... How did any- she marry an artist? I don't want to get into it, uh, <laughs> but uh, no. She, as far as movies, she will she will watch romantic comedies. She likes comedies. She likes she loves CSI, and and mm-hmm. and shows of that ilk. But so does my wife. Anything this that is, is in that go that even dip, uh, dips a toe into the realm of the fantastic, she has no tolerance for. It. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Now, see, I I love CSI, and I love my wife dearly. But watching CSI with her is hard because prior to becoming a stay-at-home mom with our boys, she uh, was a uh, she was a biotech uh, mm-hmm. scientist uh, in a for a pharmaceutical company doing uh, clinical trials, and so we'll be watching CSI and they'll do some kind of thing with the you know with the mass spec or something. And she'll be like, "They couldn't do it that way. Oh, that doesn't work that way." And I'm mm-hmm. thinking. You know, I have to explain to her suspension of disbelief that, you know, 99.9% of the people watching have never seen a, a, a mass spectrometer before, so it really doesn't matter. But um, I guess we all have those slings and arrows to deal with. The, yeah. uh, the, the Hellboy movie, I guess it didn't I, – I, I like the first one. If it's on TV, I'll usually keep it on. But um, I know that they introduced the – I, I don't even remember what the hell the agent's name was, but the guy who was in the entire movie, the the the, the rookie agent who was mm-hmm. basically Hellboy's handler, I know he's not in the second movie. Good. So they, so yeah. I'm guessing that they got rid of the baggage. You know, they already did the first step, did the first movie, so you have you know Hellboy's origin and and you're introduced to to, to all the characters, and is it is it because of that character that that Hellboy fans really aren't a fan of the first movie, or is it is it something else that may be missing? Oh, you know, I think, first of all, I, I think that's a pretty general statement that Hell, Hellboy fans weren't fans of the movie. Not all Hellboy fans. I, I love Hellboy. It's it's probably one of my favorite, favorite series. And I saw the movie for what it was. It wasn't my favorite. But it's funny because Marta, whenever I got back from the movie, that's the first character that she asked about. Was yeah. I can't even remember his fucking name. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. She's like, "Oh, is he in the movie?" I was like, "No." They explained him away pretty pretty early uh, on. They 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 talk about him, but you know, that's he cool. Got, okay. Yeah. Um. 
Well, he's yeah. the equivalent of the funny animal sidekick in the Disney movies. <laughs> well, I, I know that I, I know they used them so that, that that the audience could relate to this fantastic world, and and we could see it through his eyes. So, I mean, I I know the tricks that movie makers use, but I and but I'm I'm impressed that they actually did take the time to talk him up and 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 explain his absence. That that I like. Yeah, and they didn't need him in this one. I'd say um, Johan Kraus is awesome. Cool. That, that that they actually did Johan and did him correctly. I mean, he's a different character than he than he is in the in the comics, but he's awesome. It, it, it's so much fun seeing him on screen. You know, Mignola is very lucky. No, what is uh, the average track record for? artistic adaptations of of works in other medium media not too good you know look at stephen king his stuff has mm-hmm. been been mangled for years yeah. and uh when you look at M- mignola's stuff alan moore right alan moore uh the the hellboy animated stuff is fantastic yeah i i really like a blood and iron and sword of storms they're really good mm-hmm uh, and you know the first movie, it didn't really click with me. There was just some kind of disconnect there between me and what I was watching. It was maybe because I I I love his artwork so much, and I was expecting something along those lines, and I didn't get it. And it it just looked too slick to me for some reason. Yep. But but it, it's not a horrible movie. It's 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 ultimately watchable, and you can't say that about something like Maximum Overdrive or. <laughs> You, you know what I mean? So I think Mignola, so far, has been doing very well with his properties. I thought the first movie needed more crud in it. It right. needed it needed to be grainier and and kind of cruddier looking. Uh, this one, it, it's I mean, it's still slick. It's still very much a Del Toro movie. Uh, if you're if you're used to his kind of style of filmmaking, but it's it's kind of it's kind of built its own world up now. Um, I think it was uh, Josh over on iFanboy. Uh, he had he had the best quote about it. He he felt like he was watching really high budget fan fiction. Mm. Hmm. And that it wasn't the Hellboy that Hellboy fans are used to reading, but it's it's high budget and it's it's fun, but it's it's in a different little pocket of the universe than than what the Hellboy comics are. So hmm. I thought that was pretty pretty accurate, but totally enjoyable. Really, really had a good time with the theater for cool. the for like the fifth time this year. Very cool. Cool. I'm I'm, I'm very eager to see that. More so than the spirit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to tick off Dave Wachter. So no, I, I I will not go to see the spirit. You mean uh, you mean Sin, Sin City too? Well, yeah, <laughs> and, and and it just has nothing to do with my enjoyment of Eisner's work or the character. Nothing. I just don't like the way it looks. I, yeah. I think I think it looks very silly. Uh, well, at, ju- at judging some, it from the trailer, sure. Yeah. At, at some point in the last ten years, it just seems like. Like everything that Frank Miller does is is through that Sin City spyglass, and he's he's a more diverse creator than that. It just it seems like everything has to have that treatment now, and, I, yeah. and I'd like to see him do something different. You know, you get to a certain age, and I'm just speaking for myself. You get to a certain age where seeing movies the first day they come out or the weekend they come out is not really all that important. 
And if I don't get to see the spirit until it comes to DVD or on cable, it's not going to kill me. I, it's I called can, having kids, Vince. Yeah, that, that's probably what it is. Yeah. I mean, I can wait. There are certain things that I will run out to see. I will be there opening day for the X-Files. I don't care if it doesn't deal with the mythology at all. It's X-Files, and I will be there because I love mm-hmm. the X-Files. And ha- have you seen Gillian Anderson lately? <laughs> oh, my God. If she was not... Mama, before she is looking really good now. She's yeah. got long hair now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all about the mouth with her. You got a pretty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, this week I was feeling very uh, old school. I I wanted to read some Harvey comics. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was just in a very hot stuff kind of Casper Richie Rich kind of mood, and I did a little bit of investigating because I'll be honest, my my Harvey inventory is not that extensive. Um, did you know that Dark Horse is reprinting classic Harvey comics? No, I had no idea. They're I did up not. To, they're up to volume five already. It's called the the um, the Harvey Comics Classic Library. Each one of these things uh, clocks in at. Four, or weighs in at 480 pages for 1995. Wow. I, I guess they're the equivalent of an of an essential or or a showcase. Uh, volume one is Casper. Volume two is Richie Rich, which mm-hmm. you can't, which for some reason you can't get on Amazon, but uh, you can get it from Dark Horse. Volume three is Hot Stuff, which is my favorite. Mm. Uh, Baby Huey is volume four. Mm, or, no interest. Or as Bill Ray, I think it was Bill Ray, maybe Evan Dorkin did a takeoff on Baby Huey called Big Retarded Duck. Did you ever see that? <laughs> now that I'd like to read. <laughs> it's awesome. And volume five is the Harvey Girls. Little Audrey, Little Dot, and Little Lotta, who was not really all that little. Right. But, but you know, a Lotta. You, you, you talk Richie Rich, Ernie Cologne was the man. Yeah. He Dude, is, I loved Richie Rich the cartoon, too. Yeah. Ernie Cologne, th- that guy could, could do... Um, I don't want to say funny animal, but very cartoony, very well. And then he could jump into something like Battlestar Galactica and make it look awesome. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and like uh, the best of the mad artists, uh, once they jumped into the magazine format, uh, he, could, he could nail likenesses in any, any, any perspective, any, any angle. He would nail them. Like, uh, the guy is amazing, an amazing talent. But I was just in the mood for, for um, some Harvey comics, and I stumbled upon these. And I thought, hey, 480 pages for 1995. Amazon has them anywhere from 13 to 14 bucks and change. That is a value. And then when I get done reading them, I can pass them off to my kids. That's right. That's true. Yeah. I was thinking of like Jack Davis, how how Jack Davis can can any does, does oh Jack Davis is is amazing <laughs> how he could nail a likeness of someone and really not seem to be using photo reference yeah that that Ernie Cologne had that that knack too that's cool mm-hmm. yeah but it was uh, uh books like that I always like to go revisit them because you it's almost like a little wayback machine because you remember you when you were a kid mm-hmm. and 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 what the, the the climate was back then and the, and the attitudes and stuff and it, and it's almost like a, like I said like a time machine so perfectly comfortable reading this stuff just like the disney mm-hmm. the disney books before my time old man oh it is not before your time <laughs> Richie Rich, Richie Rich has been going on for years and years yeah, and years. Yeah, just kidding. Hey guys, Bruce Rosenberger here. 
And uh, I'd crack open another can of Yingling Light because this is the third time I'm trying to record this. But quite frankly, you know, I just wanted to get in on the, you know, the 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 uh, the whole concept of the show. And I I did indeed crack open a Yingling Light Lager. Why light? Because I'm on a low carb thing, and it's a low carb. Well, it's actually not a very low carb beer. It's eight carbs, but you know, I'm not going to drink Aspen Edge if I can drink Yingling Light. And you know. anyway, moving on. Uh, comments on 11 o'clock comics, number 11 on the 11th. I like that. Alex Ross. Some guy is accusing him of not being a good artist because he uses photo reference. That is downright silly. I can understand when somebody points a finger at a guy that, that basically lifts a pinup from a, a girly magazine and puts a, co- a, a costume on it. Because as one of you guys said, I think it was Chris... That's copyrighted work. You don't do that. That ain't right, you know? But if you set up a picture, you take a picture and you use it for photo reference or you... You know what? If you draw it right from that photo, there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's a, a form of art. There is cartoony type art like Will Eisner. I don't think Will Eisner had models pose for him. I seriously doubt that he did not use reference. Everybody uses reference. I mean, you know, if you're... If you're a guy living in a city and you want to draw a farm scene, well, how in the world are you going to know what it looks like? So, I, I, you know, I, I I think the guy's a little bit wacky in the head, you know, or he, like you said, maybe he's just trying to make a name for himself. But there's more than one style of artwork. There's cartoony, there's realistic, there's photorealistic. There's nothing wrong with any one of them, you know. Uh, the only thing, like we said, like you guys said, just don't steal somebody's copyrighted work. That That's wrong. Chris, you were talking about iconic versus stiff. I had to go back and listen to that because it sounded like you were comparing iconic and stiff, and it's like, well, that's like apples and rocks, you know? I, but I went back and I thought, you know what? I think what he's saying is is the artwork is iconic rather than stiff. He's saying, you're saying, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, Alex Ross, let's face it, I mean, you're absolutely right. He's done some iconic poses. He has done some amazing stuff. And, you know the the folks in the that did the Superman movie. How many of his poses did they lift? How many of I mean, supposedly, he got a very large check, and you know rightly so. I mean, otherwise he'd have been able to sue, you know. But I guess he was happy with the check, and you know, static artists. I think static is probably a better word than stiff. Uh, although some people are just plain you know are stiff. But you know you have a lot of good static artists that. Uh, and you have a lot of good dynamic artists. Um, I, I think case in point would be Hal Foster. Hal Foster did the Tarzan uh, comic strip uh, from, I think, 1929, and it, it disappeared for a while. came back as Sunday Pages, 1931 and 1936 or 37. Bern Hogarth took over. When Bern Hogarth took over, he aped, <laughs> play on words there, he aped uh, Hal Foster's style on Tarzan. But eventually he became a very dynamic artist. Uh, animated, whatever you want to call it. Do I like one more than the other? No, no. I mean, you know, Hal Foster's static artwork was just as nice as Bern Hargar's later dynamic work. Can I actually say I like this one better than the other? No, I, I like them both, you know. They're different artists, and, but they're both good. Jason, you said something that really bugged me at the beginning of the show because normally I tend to agree with most of the things you say, but in this particular case, and later on you kind of, 
I don't know. You kind of said something different. So anyway, you said the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, something like they ushered in a generation of comics that were all crap. And I was like, what? You know, I mean, was there crap? Yeah, you know. But it wasn't, I mean, first off, it wasn't the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Were they a part of that? Sure. I mean, their popularity and their success, absolutely, was a very important part of that. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just, it was, you know, the comic shops had started rolling. The direct market was out there. The comic shops were looking for stuff to sell. You know, they need to make money. They can't just sell Marvel and DC and maybe a few Archies. and They needed stuff to sell. And all these companies popped up overnight. And all of a sudden, everybody and their brother that had wanted to be a comic book artist suddenly could be a comic book artist. Were some of those people less than professional? Absolutely. Was it all crap? No. No. I mean, I look back and I see... Um, Who's responsible for Grendel? That that was Matt Wagner, right? And as well as Mage, um, Bill Willingham. I mean, I was just looking at uh, the Elementals books from the 80s. Uh, a few days ago, I was digging through some boxes and I found those books. It's, his artwork's pretty crude, but is it crap? No, it, it was it was pretty pretty good stuff, you know. Now these guys moved on and they moved on to DC and Marvel and all, and they're making big bucks and and, and good. I mean, I'm happy for them. But crap? No, no. I mean, I think Theodore Sturgeon was right when he said that 90% of everything is crap. But that doesn't... You know, that said, there's a lot of crap, I guess, you know, stuff that falls into that crap line that I enjoy just as much as, you know, the really good stuff. So, I don't know. I just... Like I said, later on, you kind of started talking about some indie titles or some some of Marvel's... um, uh, off the beam titles and 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 I understood what you're saying and that that all rang pretty true. Last point, fans of Marvel and DC not recognizing, you know, good art. Um, let's face it. I mean, these there's a lot of comic book fans that are fans of characters. There's a lot of comic book fans that are fans of Marvel and the Marvel way of doing comics. There's a lot of fans that are fans of the way DC does comics. But do they have do they have an inkling of any kind of knowledge about sequential art? Most of them don't. Most, you know, maybe they're learning. You know, maybe they'll learn and they'll grow to like um, good comics. But let's face it. Let's look back to the 90s and let's look what was selling. Now, I realize there were other factors involved there. There was the whole, uh, you know, collectible type thing going on. And you had all the baseball card collectors were suddenly buying comic books thinking they were going to make a killing. Okay, I understand that. Uh, But what I'm saying to you is a lot of people don't have a clue what good storytelling is. And I don't mean the writer. I mean storytelling from an artist. In the 90s, you had a bunch of people who came from the image school of art who said, I am going to do a comic book that has very little story but is a series of pinups. And guess what? People bought it and they loved it. That's fine, I guess. You know, if if that's what you want. If that's what they want, that's fine. But there is that small percentage of us who understand the art form um, I'll call it sequential art, you know, and we love it and we want to see the best of it. So anyway, 
that's my little uh, tack on what you guys are talking about on 11 o'clock comics number 11. Let's talk to you later. Bye. Yeah. Vince, who's your who's your favorite EC artist? Just out, out of curiosity. Harvey Kurtzman. Kurtzman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Sweet. Yep, nothing wrong with that. But that, that that's like picking between which which god is your favorite. You know, yeah. it's very difficult. I they, and they're all masters in their little areas. You had Graham mm-hmm. Engel, Graham uh, Ingalls, who was the master of Ick, mm-hmm. and then Ghastly. Kurt, Ghastly, yeah, and Wally Wood, who had sci-fi down to a yeah. Science. That's my Johnny that's Craig. Craig. Johnny Craig was, uh, you know. A very classic, very clean style, but he could mix it up with the best of them. And then you had Feldstein, and mm-hmm. any one of those guys is world class. But Kurtzman, for me, just that that very beautiful sweeping brushstrokes and the effortlessness he, that it appeared to to be put on the page with. It seemed like he it didn't take anything out of him. It, it's beautiful brushwork, but like. The same thing with Jerry Grandinetti, who was much maligned when we were kids. Uh, no one in, in my circle of friends liked Jerry Grandinetti for some reason, just because it, it looked like he just threw it down. But that's the, that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like Kurtzman, those thick blacks, that's gorgeous stuff. You know, what, I, what I love about that is that all of those guys had vastly different styles. And you oh, can, yeah. I mean, you open up one of those EC archives and you can, you can tell a Kurtzman or a Feldstein or a Wood page, just like, okay, p- yep, that's a Wally Wood issue right there. And it, it, it's so different, you know, what would happen a few years later when DC and Marvel would kind of set up the house styles when it was, I mean, you could tell different guys apart, but, but it, it became very similar and, and they were trying to keep, you know, keep things kind of looking the same. So, so readers weren't, you know, jarred by the different artwork and, uh, and that EC actually consciously tried to keep those guys you know and and promote them as being different and you know who's your favorite artist and and that was a big deal with ec it was always always impressed me about that company yeah here's a what if for you what if frederick wortham didn't have an agenda what would com (laughs) what would comic books be like today oh probably about the same Mm, i don't know about that yeah, I don't you know, know. That, he did a lot of damage to the comic Fred, book industry. Fred, Fred, Frederick Wortham wouldn't have kept video games from uh, from coming into existence. You know, it's yeah, it, very it, true. But I, I'm talking in between the the period where the the comics code came into full force and maybe the appearance of say you know the Marvel black and white magazines there's a, a nice chunk of years in between there where comics kind of stagnated i mean you couldn't use vampires zombies there was a lot of very stringent uh rules that these guys had guys had to abide to to get it to pass the comics code and it, i think it and, and and for a lot of reasons various genres went away because of that i mean the horror comics mm-hmm. virtually evaporated after that yeah. or you know, crime they, yeah yeah. Maybe maybe things wouldn't be so superhero oriented because of it. Mm. Well, I would say that now, probably more so than for a long time, that we have great horror comics, great crime comics. I mean, I think, granted, they're not from the big publishers though, so maybe that's that's a self limiting thing. But in terms of just just pure quality, and not talking about reach, I mean, there right. are pretty good genre comics out there now. You know, it's it, the resil the resilience, and that's a tough word for me to say tonight for some reason. <laughs> I'll have another old fashioned. Um, how 
<laughs> how comics have been able to come back from the brink so many times, whether it was you know, from you know World War Two and paper shortages, and 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 then the comics code, and then uh, you know it was it was you know bad times, and I think in the seventies there was a there was a rough patch, and then and then everyone knows about the nineties. It just am- amazes me how resilient comics as a medium are, and they just kind of like keep bouncing back that you can you know you know kick them while they're down but they they always kind of stick around and i don't think it's kind of a testament to to comics and how and how they just kind of keep keep staying around no matter what happens to them so yep so there's your deep thought for the day that is very (laughs) that is a very deep thought and uh another thing i've been jumping into this week is the dc war comics like uh, the GI Combat, I read a bunch of issues in between, like say two thirty to two forty. One mm-hmm. of the artists, one of the very important Filipino artists, we forgot last week in our uh, very light overview of the Filipino guys was uh, uh, Vicente Catan Jr., who went by the name of uh, Vicatan or, or Vicatan. You remember him? Vicatan. <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds like a mm-hmm. so, sounds like mm-hmm. a pill. Yeah, but this guy was incredible. Uh, there's a, a bunch of um, stories in the GI Combat books where he just owned. I mean, a beautiful mix of of uh, Alex Nino with a little bit of uh, uh, Redondo kind of stylings in it just gorgeous stuff and unfortunately in doing some research on the guy he died in 2004 mm-hmm. you know there's not many of those guys left anymore it's true and and that just ties into what you were saying where we do have a lot of genre books like we do have crime books now and and uh funny animal books and there, uh, a little bit of every kind of stripe but there's not enough war books for some reason the war genre brings out the best in artists Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, uh, Tom was supposed to talk about it on Around Comics last week, but we had some technical difficulties. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storming Paradise is mm-hmm. coming out from Wildstorm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. It's a really good war comic. It's Chuck Dixon. And, you know, say what you will about Chuck Dixon and his, and his DC work in the bad office or whatever, but when Chuck Dixon gets a hold of a war story, I'm there. Team Zero, one of my favorite favorite war comics that's come out in you know definitely recent history uh it may just be one of my favorite favorite war miniseries but this is uh chuck dixon and butch geis and is a really cool kind of like alternate history um take on world war ii it's basically what if what if the united states was not uh, oh did i just go all donald duck on no not at all (laughs) nope no um uh, it's what if the uh, the atom bomb hadn't been dropped on Japan, and mm-hmm. and it turned into a ground war. Have we talked about this on the show before? No. No. Oh, okay. Oh, it's, wait. I think we touched on it briefly last week. We did. I think so. Didn't we? I don't think so. Must have been yeah. the twelve o'clock comic show you do without me. <laughs> <laughs> but no. So if you're looking for a cool war comic, Storming Paradise by uh, uh, it's coming out from Wildstorm. It'll be uh, I don't know if it's a miniseries. It just says number one. So, um, but yeah, Chuck Dixon and, and Butch Geis and Chuck Dixon is definitely the uh, the war guy these days. Yeah. And Butch Geis is underrated. Oh, very yes. underrated. Ultimate Origin's been good. 
Hell yeah. Have you guys seen his sort of the uh, uh, sort of, Aqu- of Atlanta? I was just going to bring that up. Yes, yeah, oh. so beautiful. What what were people thinking? Why did they ignore that book? Aquaman is one of those characters that I think needs an Iron Fist treatment. You know, he's one of those guys that should be someone should be able to to modernize him and make him an awesome standalone character, but um, he just it just never they never seem to hit that right chord. You know. And with the audience. They were doing some, some great work with it. Like after uh, Busick had mm-hmm. it, it, it went to, I think, Tad Williams, whose track record for comics is not all that great. But it, combi- <clears throat> sorry, combine him with Sean McManus on art. Oh, it was incredible. I love Sword of Atlantis. Didn't Will Pfeiffer do some Aquaman stuff before he was doing Catwoman? I think. Mm, maybe I think so. Uh, this is, this was the series that Rick Veach started, right? Or yes. wrote it originally? Oof. Okay, Th- those Oof. issues are fantastic. Oof! Oh, you sh- you hush, <laughs> <laughs> little. <laughs> but yeah, Aquaman needs he needs an, an an ongoing book. I hope maybe that's one of the things that that'll come out of Final Crisis. We'll get another Aquaman book. That'll be great for eighteen issues. Don't. Oh, come on now. Focus on positive, Mr. Neesman. Pessimist. Realist. (laughs) You know, you're a shittiest. No, no, Aquaman's usually good for about three story arcs, and then it's hard to figure out other shit to do with him. He's he's a tough character to write. That's your one note. Some guys are just... Some characters are just better in a group. Now I'll, I'll tell you, pairing Aquaman with King Shark was a brilliant move. Mm-hmm. That that laid a, a a lot of different layers on that book. Mm-hmm. My, my enemy is my friend, you know. I mean, and then there was the whole question of whether this Curry kid is actually Aquaman, and then you had the Dweller in the Depths. It was just yes. a very very interesting book, and it just seemed to be totally ignored. Mm-hmm. In, in the wake of the other one year later books, which is, is sad. If anybody gets a chance to pick up issues on the cheap for Aquaman Sword of Atlantis, do it because you will not be disappointed. It's a fantastic book. How the hell do you say, is it, is it Juice or Geis? Geis. Geis. Is it really? Because I remember back in the day, and I think it was around the time of Resurrection Man on the, the DC Nation page or one of those uh, in-house pages, they, they, the title of the piece was The Geis, or in this instance it would make sense if it was pronounced Juice, is loose. So why would they make a, a heading like that if it wasn't pronounced Juice? Well, visually it would read... The, guy, still, the guys is loose, is loose doesn't, it just doesn't well no no right. but I'm saying on the page you would still get the no, the notion of the play on words but but that, that just just doesn't make sense maybe it's a goose no it's guys you it's know good. this you know yeah. this mm-hmm. oh okay well I mean I've, I've always I've always said guys even back from you know before the micronauts I've referred to him as butch guys so I refer to him as Jackson ah <laughs> guy if you're nasty <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, I'm going just a, a typical issue of GI Combat. This is issue 242. Listen to the lineup in this thing. Most of the stuff is written by Bob Kaniger, who's mm-hmm. you couldn't trip over a, a war book back in the day and not right. have something by Robert Kaniger. But I think one of the most criminally overrate, underrated, sorry, mm-hmm. artists back in the day was Sam Glansman. 
Ooh. He is incredible. And yeah. I'll, be, I'll be totally honest. As a kid, I did not appreciate his stuff. When you have guys like Joe Kubert, who had uh, an elegance and a style, mm-hmm. a very unique style, and then you got Glansman, who's very, very workaday. He gets the job done, but man, can this guy tell a story? Just his 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 uh, sequential progression is just a, an amazing uh, feat, and he just sucked you into these larger than life events and you felt every explosion every every death it's just it, he's really good but uh when you got guys like um that vicatan in the same book it kind of overshadows you know the 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 just um workmanship of uh glansman who's he doesn't have a lot of flash let's be honest but in, in terms of storytelling ability i think the guy was just brilliant and and I'm going through this book, and the thing I like about it, and Jerry Grandinetti's in here, another maligned artist. The thing I like about going through old comics is, in, uh, in addition to the story, some of the ads in these things, th- there's an ad in here for c- Cube Lube. Hilarious. <laughs> now, if this is not a testament to the popularity of the Rubik's Cube, <laughs> listen to this. We've got what it takes to make to really move your cube New cube lube. Even if you've got all the right moves, sometimes the cube can be tough to move. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's why there's new Ain't cube lube. An incredible lubricant specially formulated for the cube and other mind-boggling puzzles that move. With cube lube, your cube twists more freely, turns more easily, <laughs> changes faces uh, with the kind of lightning speed that can really reduce your time. Like, it's like just send two dollars a dollar sixty five plus thirty five cents for postage and handling for a tube of lube for your rubik's cube mm-hmm. and and notice how they never actually mention rubik's cube right in the mm-hmm. ad just yeah, remember it's, it's not a bottle cap <sighs> and on the top of the page there's an ad for grit i sold grit oh was, gotta get a grit i, I love was, those ads i was a grit man mm-hmm. <laughs> and and i'll tell you this the uh the humiliation I suffered at the name of that paper. <laughs> they, they, they just got, here comes the jit, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so what else? What do we got? Uh, I read the Final Crisis Requiem that we talked about last week, finally. Oh. And I read the Final Crisis Rogue's Revenge. Oh, you read it? Yes. Picked it up at Midtown today. Said hello to our good friend Wraith Maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was waiting in line. So I am very hit or miss on Scott Collins' artwork. Sometimes I enjoy it. Sometimes I really, frankly, don't like it at all. Here comes Uh, the disagreeing part. No, I understand. And I know he's generally well-liked. It's just, I don't, and I can't really pinpoint it because I do think his style can vary. It's it's, it's usually when he's uh, paired up with Jeff Johns and working on the Flash that I like Scott Collins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then you'll probably like this because obviously this is a Flash-centric book, and that it, it it's about all of his Rogues Gallery. And uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but but you know there's certainly some Flash-type imagery in there as well. Um, so I actually enjoyed it this time. This is good Scott Collins, in my opinion. And I could be wrong, but from the looks of it, the style is a little different. It looks to me like no one inked him. It looks like it's no, basically pen. No. Okay, is that right? Well, it's pretty. This time, it it works. Um, I, I it looked a little more organic to me. Um, the story, you know, I'm not very familiar with the Flash. I just really haven't read much of him outside of, you know, group books like JLA. So, um, I don't have much of a real resonance with the Rogues Gallery in any particular way. So, 
Um, it, this was part one of a three-part story. Didn't see too much as to what it has to do with Final Crisis, other than the fact that the rogues have not are not deciding not to be a part of Libra's gang of villains, much kind of like the same vein they were in with uh, the the Year of Countdown, where they didn't want to join up with Lex Luthor. So, um, outside of that, I'm not sure really how much it ties into Final Crisis. Um, so, it, worth a read, though. I think if you're a Flash fan, there were some reveals in the book that I think, just based on what I know of Flash's history, should be pretty intriguing to longtime Flash fans. Um, and uh, you guys already talked about Requiem quite a bit last week, but I really I have to agree, I really did enjoy it. I mean, obviously, the, the, the monkey artwork is just to die for. <laughs> he's 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 not alone in in making this artwork. This is what kills me. It's like everybody forgets. Not never oh, mind the fact that oh god oh god. Uh, it's 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 the vodka. It's just it's <laughs> I don't know. I, he, yes, the the art in this book is absolutely fabulous. And yes, you know, Mankey's the one who put the line down on the page first. But I really do feel. Because the Mankey and, and, and Alame pages on DC Universe Zero were some of the best pages in that book. So I, I do think Mankey is shining right now because of Christian Alame's inks. Okay. It was amazing, amazing coloring on that book. Yep. There, and the lettering was awesome. The, uh, All the pieces fit. There you go. Mm-hmm. And the thing I liked best about it was the fact that it was a one-shot. They, they yes. went in, yep. they told yep. the story that they had to tell, and they got mm-hmm. the hell out of there. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm looking at this Rogue's Revenge, the first issue right now. And I got the Captain Cold cover, by the way. Did you get to it? Yeah. Uh, this, the Colin's artwork in this is a lot closer to what he did on his run in The Flash. And okay. very far removed from the Omega Flight stuff, which in my opinion yeah. is a good thing. Yeah, he seems, well, he, he seems, to, be, he seems yeah. to be a better fit. and. You know, I know actually, and 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 Darren Goodhart will will disagree with me here, but there are some artists, and Vince and I have talked about this in the past. There are some artists that seem to fit better based on the publisher they're working with. You know, mm-hmm. and and Colin seems to have a, a have a better feel for DC characters than he does for Marvel characters. Because as 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 fun as Beyond was, it wasn't the best Colin's artwork I've ever seen, and Omega Flight wasn't even as good as that. So I, I really do think that Collins is a great Flash artist, but I think he is a better fit for DC characters than he is for Marvel. And you know why I think he's a good Flash artist? Because his style has this this airy, weightless quality because he, yeah. doesn't, he, he doesn't use a whole hell of a lot of blacks. Mm-hmm. It just... And, and, and when he draws things pertaining to speed... I mean, he uses a lot of lines in most cases, but when he, when he goes into the speed aspect of the book he uses a lot of lines and, mm. and i i think that just lends itself very well to what the character does he just may be more excited working on that book yeah and let's you know could be uh Collins is very good you should take a look at freddie williams stuff on the flash book very good job he's I'm looking at issue 242 right now <clears throat> he's going back to robin <clears throat> actually um really yeah well, he talked about they, that um on uh, an episode of CGS this week, actually, they gotta he, they gotta fix the Flash. They've gotta fix that book. <laughs> I, I don't mind what Tom Payer's doing with it. It's not that bad. I think it's kind of fun. Tom well, from Cater, the sound of it, Tom, Tom Tom dropped the Flash. Tom has Ooh. been reading the Flash for twenty years. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember last last week after the show when we were talking to Tom, and I said, 
Tom, I, I bought the last four issues of Flash. And he goes, well, tell me how they are. Because I'm not reading it anymore. I'm like, what? That's, that's, that, that impression is uncanny, dude. That is no, an awesome Tom Caters. It's horrible. It's horrible. Uh, hey, guys. This is Alec Berry, Alexander B. on the forum. I'm calling about the 11 o'clock comics indie challenge. I have two books I want to talk about. The first one is Images, A Red Mask for Mars, written and colored by Jonathan Hickman and the art by Ryan Bodenheim. Just, uh, this is awesome. It's about the death of Utopia and how superheroes react to the situation. This, uh, this story takes place in the year 2115. This version of Earth seems to have gone through many of different catastrophes, but continues to build itself back up. It's just, in, it's an awesome story. Such a smart science fiction tale. Um, the art is amazing. Brian Bodenheim is definitely, he's in my, he's up there now on my artist list. I'm jumping on the bandwagon for him. I'm going to look up and see what else he has done because I'm totally interested in him. Uh, the colors are also amazing. I had no idea that Jonathan Hickman had that so much had that kind of cred for coloring. Just totally good. It's uh, There's a four-issue miniseries, 350 an issue. Uh, I think you need to jump on this because this is going to be something cool. And I have no idea if it's going to be traded or not, so jump on. The second one would be Contract. It's published by a First Salvo, and I got the opportunity to talk to Garen Madrinos, co-creator of it at New York Comic Con. Uh, the first issue is not out yet, but I picked up the Zero issue there in New York, and it's just really cool. The art was in black and white. I can't wait to see it in color in the first issue. It's about, it's basically about mercenaries in the future. It's kind of got a cowboy feel to it. Just really neat stuff. Uh, artists include Dave Ross, Kevin Sharp. Ariel Padella inks include Mark McKenna and Joe Rubenstein. Just really neat stuff. Uh, this book just really impresses me. It's It manages to create a universe just full of story potential within a few pages. I really think you guys need to jump on this now while you can. It's going to be a three-issue miniseries, and I believe from what Garen told me, it's going to uh, have three one-shots following it, each dealing with one of the first three each dealing with one of the three main characters. So you need to jump in this. I believe the first issue is out July 31st, so go pick it up. If you were not planned it, rethink. Go look for it at your LCS. You know, if you order from DCBS, I'm sure if you shoot them an email, I know it's July, but maybe since it's a small press, they'll be happily add it for you. Okay, now I've got a question. Listening to episode 11, you guys talked about labeling in comics as you know, how Marvel and DC are kind of the big kids, while, you know, the indie are almost like the, the outcasts. And it kind of got me thinking, too, of, you know, you got the iPod and you got the Zune. More people have the iPod. Why? Because the iPod is a cool thing. I mean, if you just look at my high school, everybody's got the iPod. Very few kids have the Zune. It's just because of a name brand. It's kind of like the cool thing. Maybe it's almost like readers kind of treat Marvel or DC as a cool group. That's like the popular, that's where you want to be. That's the click to be in, while, you know, the indie small press guys are kind of like the outcasts, the, the skater punk kids or whatever you want to call them. I mean, maybe there's something like that. But it also got me thinking about something else. I kind of drew a comparison. Do you guys kind of, it's kind of a question for you. Do you guys kind of see comic geek speak as almost being like the Marvel or DC of podcasting while, you know, you guys 
around comics, the comic book page or waiting for the trade almost is like the indies or the small press of podcasting. I just kind of wondered about that. I thought it was cool. Nothing against the CGS guys. I mean, thank God for them. Thank God for what they've done because if not, we would not have any of this stuff. And I love them. But I just wanted to get your opinion on that. I thought it was interesting. And, uh, well, that's all I got for now. Sorry if I sound a little tongue-twisted. My mouth's really dry right now. But anyway, I'll talk to you later. Bye. So before I forget, um, Chris, are you still getting 1985? No. Okay. All right. I just want to let everybody know it's it's no longer a five-issue miniseries. It's now a six-issue mini. Really? No way. Yes. They, yeah, they pulled is. the Punisher on it. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Yeah, they did. Or, or Transformers, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's a six. No, but I'll I'll spend I'll spend seventeen ninety nine or nineteen ninety nine for the trade. I'm not right. gonna I'm not gonna buy that series. Um, I don't know. I know. I know. I know. And hey, <laughs> I and you know what? <laughs> Me? Yep. Fucking hypocrite. Picked a uh, mm-hmm. top of the stack last week. Twenty two page comic. Three ninety nine. Tom blew you up. Tom blew you up. No, see you. Top cow. is an up and coming. You know, publisher. Yeah. They, they they need all the help they can get. You know, they've only had Witchblade as a TV show, and they only have the the animation coming out. You know, Top Cow's really really hurting these days. So they need they need Chris's three ninety nine. Well, let me put it this way, dude. I don't think they just made three hundred fucking million dollars on Iron Man. Who you crapping? Who you crapping? You know, Jason, I, I love you, but I think you you cited Tom's ownership of Chris with a little bit too much glee for my taste. And, and hang on, hey, 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 how about how about you? You know, covering for your man every so often. I think uh, I think I think you know where the glee comes from. No, okay. it's it's okay. My and my my whole beef with that last week is that it was really more uh, a case of it being an event book and them charging more on it when I they could see that. Yeah, didn't yeah, necessarily have to. But I tell you, and and believe me, whenever I was reading the uh, the pilot season, Urban Myths, and I was like, man, I really like that. Because I had read two other books uh, that were, uh, Requiem was one of them, and I was just like, oh, this is, okay, this is top of the stack. And then I'd read another one, and it's like, oh man, this might be my favorite this week. And then I read Urban Myths, and I was like, this is the best book I've read this week. And then I saw the price tag on it, and I was like, ah, oh, son of a bitch, they're going to call me out. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good, man. It was really, really good. I took a look at it at the, the comic shop today. It looks very nice, very yeah. tight. You, do you like that Umberto Ramos, Carlos Maglia um, kind of mashup comparison? Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think people should read more Top Cow books because what they've done in the past year is just uh, excellent work. They, they've totally re- uh, convinced me that Witchblade is a viable character. Mm-hmm. I, I would never buy Witchblade in the past. And yeah. Darkness, when the frickin' thing comes out, I mean, they're investing all this energy and time and 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 promotion on a book, and and these guys can't get it out on time. Come on, mm-hmm. Mister, get the book out already. Man, that be but, Phil's uh, fault. I know. I'm just saying. Well, he can convince the person that is lagging behind to get it done. It, I I really want the next issue of the Darkness because it's great. Get it out. It just seems like a a a, a squandered opportunity. To me, I, I like Darkness when it first came out. I like it now. I think I've it's never awesome. read an issue of it actually. Oh, they put this really cool twist on it where he fabricates this woman out of the darkness, 
like like a uh, really? uh, yes, it's really cool. Hester's doing good stuff with it. Yeah, when it comes out, yeah. It's uh, yeah. Um, track down, track down an early darkness trade, Jason. You might you might like. It. I mean, it's 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 '90s top cow stuff. So mm-hmm. it's a uh, who who started with? I know Jenkins wrote it for quite a while, but was that was that a Sylvester book? Yeah, yeah. I have the Ennis um, trade. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, nice, Garth Ennis nice. wrote it for a while. Yeah, it's I, I always think of uh think of who was drawing them. It was uh uh Michael Turner on uh, on Witchblade and then Sylvester on Darkness, I think, and I may be wrong there. But uh yeah. um yeah, it was it was cool stuff at the time. I loved it. Hey, I picked up I picked up something this week that uh Mark Beatty was like, Hey, you, you should probably check this out. Um it twenty two pages, three ninety nine, cards dot cover, but it's out from uh IDW and it's uh Dead She Said. Have you guys have you guys seen this yet? No. It's uh, Steve Niles writing and Bernie Wrightson art, and the <laughs> art is freaking awesome. I think somebody just killed a cat. <laughs> so I think that was David squealing in glee whenever he heard <sighs> Bernie Wrightson. Hey. No, I'm just, hey, if it's better than City of Others, I'm there. You got to cut Wrightson some slack. No, it's good. I mean, he's, it's, he's it's, got some eye problems. No, I. I well, if if. City of Others, I was expecting something a lot better than what I got, and it, it is no slight to Wrightson. Wrightson is still on point. I mean, it's not... Oh, really? I, oh, City of Others, I thought, looked great, but the story oh. was kind of lacking. Uh, was that was that Niles? That was Niles writing, Wrightson you know, art by Dark Horse uh, the last year into this year, and it uh, it was a bi-monthly miniseries. Like I said, I mean, I've 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 loved Bernie for years. I mean, hell, even... I think he's a great Batman artist going back to the cult, but yeah. it um but this this story with City of Others, I was I I I was looking for the rest of it when I finished a book. Hmm. You know, not Niles Niles runs hot and cold with me. Not everything okay. that he does um turns to turns to gold and uh you know, even like after the first thirty days of night trade, I'm you know, there's not that much of the of his thirty days of night stuff that that I've liked. So, you know, he, he runs hot and cold. I think he's a guy that starts really strong on a on a series. I think he's a big time idea guy mm-hmm. and he needs to do like three and four issue miniseries. That that seems to be a great attention span for him. Right. And and he does really good three and four issue horror miniseries and uh and this is um dead she said um you know just i i'm not i'm not going to get into it it's really fun um kind of supernatural detective and you can tell the the shit i've been reading is all this like paranormal detective stuff i've got my gum shoes on right now so Mm -hmm. um dead she said really a lot of fun bernie writes and um uh, pencil and inks on it, and it's gorgeous. Cool. So, yes, good, well, real good stuff. I think Niles has really benefited from some of the artists he's been paired with. I mean, Ben Templesmith. I mean, I, I, I don't think without him, we would, we would be thinking what we think of Thirty Days a Night. I, mm-hmm. I think he, he pretty much made that book. So, um, you know, kudos to him for either having the, the right visual eye to find an artist that works well for the story he's trying to convey or maybe it's just luck that the publishers have put put him together with some pretty impressive artists but I think that's really served him well I have a confession to make mm-hmm. I have never read 30 Days a Night same here really? uh, yeah 
Yeah, check it out. It's good. I love Temple Smith, but mm-hmm. for some reason, IDW's books just kind of turn me away if it's not Ashley Wood. I, 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 no, really, I, 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 I balk at the chance, at the opportunity to invest three ninety nine in a book. It just, it just turns me off. I don't know why, but for Ashley Wood, I do make an exception. I, I think he's fantastic, and and I've heard so much about Thirty Days a Night, and even at the Chicago Comic Con, Wizard World, mm-hmm. I saw Thirty Days for five bucks, and I still didn't pick it up. Should have. You know what? Know um, um, watch the movie. It's a close. It's a close enough adaptation of the of the novel. It'll let you know if you like it. I mean, there's differences, well, but the movie's really good. Yeah, there's no question. I'll, I'll, I'll probably devour it, pun intended. But it's just there's something keeping me from buying it, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, you, yeah. You same ever, ha- you ever yeah. have that? Yeah. Because I have, I, I have the trait of wormwood. So I mean, I know, and I and I like fell. So I know it's not Temple Smith, but I don't know what what's preventing me from. Picking that trade up. Yeah, same oh. here. What the hell is wrong with me? I, I love Templesmith. Why won't I buy Wormwood? Hmm. Other than the fact that it's three ninety nine. Actually, the the last IDW book I bought was the uh, three issue Cobb Mini, and that was because it's Bo Smith and uh, and Eduardo uh, Barreto. Wait, 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 wait a second here. Who all is is or is not reading Lock and Key right now? Um, I just ordered oh. the I ordered oh. the hardcover. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I, I recommended it last week. I, I have uh, I have my aunt out in Brooklyn scouring the comic shop. She sent me an email the other day. She has the the uh, she has issues two, three, and four in her possession. They're ordering the first issue for her. And is the fifth issue out? I don't know. Mm, yes. Okay, then I think she has two through five. But okay. but but they but they ordered the first issue for so I'm going to have the actual issues instead of the hardcover. But yes, no, I I am I I have read the first issue, okay. the first two issues, and I love it. Okay, my favorite comic this year. Wow, that's that's high praise. That yep. is favorite comic this year. I, I I've fallen in love with that book. And you've been consistent. You keep saying that, so you definitely. Have- maintain that it's it's just it's good it's just it's really really good wow well you know in keeping with the the theme that we got going here of of uh well somewhat theme of the classic artists and i mentioned harvey comics and blah 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 i don't know do you any of you guys read the comics journal used to Uh, yeah i don't don't anymore no well well i don't know if you know this or not but they've taken up reprinting classic comics within the magazine like most of it is journalism towards new and, and classic comics but they, they have a section where they where they reprint comics in color wow yeah it's really cool and in issue 290 which is the uh the peanuts issue mm-hmm. there is a wonderful section from bob powell and oh. I'm not that well versed on Bob Powell, unfortunately, but it reprints. Let's see, one, uh, one, two, three, four, five stories. Uh, the Wall of Flesh from this magazine is haunted, 1953. Walking Dead from Chamber of Chills, number 23, 1951, a Harvey comic. Uh, Colorama from Black Cat Mystery, number 45, 1953, from Harvey, and so on. This guy, I'll tell you. I have no idea why why I have overlooked this guy. He is fantastic, and uh, the the thing that got me the most the Wall of Flesh story, 
it's about this this scientist who's doing this these skin graft experiments and he creates this living wall of flesh you have to see this thing to believe <laughs> it. it it is so repulsive so creepy uh he he basically abducts this woman he's hot on who works in the hospital and when she spurns uh his advances he throws her into the wall of flesh and the comic is her getting sucked into the wall of flesh and he has this this um clock motif that he drags through the story where we see part of the woman sucked in and then 15 minutes later we see part of more of the woman is sucked in by the time her boyfriend gets there who's returning from the war she has this little tiny hand sticking out of the wall oh it's disgusting you got to see it but it, it is so beautifully rendered it's it's incredible and then another story the uh this guy gets an eye transplant and it just so happens the eye transplant that he got was from this long dead nobleman and he he does this thing with uh with a color plate where he uses the red plate or the i'm sorry the magenta plate and he overlays the magenta on on the panel to make it look like you're looking through the guy's eyes mm-hmm. and, and you, you can see organs behind it and he'll just highlight things in magenta really really incredible work comics journal 290 it, it, they've adopted a bookshelf format now where it's not uh it's it's uh short and squat and uh square bound mm-hmm. but it, and it's 11.95 but the things usually run like 220 pages yeah, yeah they're thick they're they're thick with oh they're real th- and you can get it from dcbs for like seven bucks and change it's they're... well well worth it oh nice nice and hey. it, you know and there's a question uh, the the majority of the issue is taken up with this back and forth about Charles Schultz. There's certain people that claim he was a a depressive and he had uh, emotional problems. And his son Monty comes in to dispel those rumors, and it goes mm-hmm. back and forth. It's really, I mean, you could spend. Liter- it's kind of like the top. Uh, I'm sorry, the Tomorrow magazines. You could spend literally a month pouring through this magazine. Sure, sure. Well worth it. Comics Journal 290. Hey, I wanted to mention, talking about values, um, we talked about Carnival uh, real quickly. Um, Vince, do you own those on DVD? No, I refuse to buy HBO stuff on DVD. Yeah, they are pricey. They're too Um, damn expensive. Um, Best Buy has them for $20 a season right now. Oh, get out of here. Right now. Yeah, Yeah, or they did... week and a half ago when I was there. Uh-huh. That's, why, that's why I got them. They were, they were $19.99 for, the, for each season, for each of the two seasons. That is within my, my budget. Yeah. I, would, I would gladly pay that. And you know another thing that ticks me off is the BBC. I would own every Doctor Who DVD known to yep. man if they would just price them reasonably. That's the thing. Their seasons there are, I think it's two things, and Wood will probably correct me here, but first, their seasons are only 10 to 12 ish, um, episodes, and I figured that the the dollar being so weak against the pound is why those DVD seasons are so freaking expensive. Well, the dollar's weak against everything. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. No, I mean, you could be right, Chris. I think HBO just also has, um, you know, it's it's demand elasticity that mm-hmm. people will pay what they, they'll pay, you know. And HBO shows are such high quality and have such, a, I think, a critical shelf life that people have been willing to pay more for them. Mm-hmm. I think last week the um, – what's the one about the surfer dude with Re- Rebecca De Mornay in it? Dude, I don't want to talk about it. Well, it's Charlie from – what was the name of it? <laughs> oh, oh, um, 
John in the, Cincinnati. The, this from, yeah, yeah, something Cincinnati. John in yeah. Cincinnati. John from Cincinnati. Yeah, that was a really cool show. But, I mean, it didn't. Dude. It didn't. What? You didn't like it? No, it's not that I didn't like it. That show is the reason that Deadwood no longer exists. Why? Really? I don't know about that. No, it is. It's the same creator. And yes. What hap- right. And what happened was he wanted an okay from he wanted an okay from HBO to be able to schedule both, and they didn't want to um, give him the scheduling to do both at his pace because they were hot for another Deadwood, and they tried to play hardball with him, and he had to choose one or the other, so he freaking chose that stupid surfing show and let Deadwood die two seasons before he had intended. And uh-huh. Deadwood was probably my favorite TV show of the last five, ten years or so. People got um, angry whenever that show went away. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was well, angry. rightfully so. It was a great fucking show. Freaking Deadwood, great Deadwood show. was the shit. That <laughs> was so appropriate that you said that great fucking show for Deadwood. That's mm-hmm. cocksucker. You better believe it. <laughs> Al Swearingen's one of the best characters ever put on the small screen. Yeah. Uh, I didn't keep up with all of John from Cincinnati. Did they ever show Rebecca DeMornay nude? Oh, God. No, I'm just asking. <laughs> I'll well, tell you that that one broad. scene from Risky Business. Oh my God! Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> she was never. She was a butterface though. Rebecca yeah. De Mornay? Yeah. You're insane. <laughs> no, he, I think I think he's confusing her with uh, Rosanna Arquette. <laughs> no, I do that too. <laughs> yeah, you would. But anyway, I I I walked into Best Buy thinking I was going to take advantage of their awesome sale on the Warner Brothers cartoon stuff. Uh-huh. Batman Beyond is on sale, the Batman, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But um, they also had the X-Files mythology box sets on sale for twelve ninety nine each. So I was, I'm, I'm, I'm powerless in the face of X-Files. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, no, you, go ahead. Did, did you pick up any of the, the Batman animated stuff? No, I bought X-Files. I bought all four boxes. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Because I never invested in the DVD sets because... I knew, what, number one, at the time they were very expensive. Now I think you can get a season for like 20 bucks. But uh, this is all the mythology stuff, all the the story that went very bad very quickly, but initially in the beginning was really good. Mm-hmm. So they collect all those. And, and I'm in. Love X-Files. Can't wait to see that movie. But anyway. I, I, prefer the, I prefer the kind of Monster of the Week episodes myself. Yeah, not me. I, me neither. I I'm with Vince. I, I much yeah. preferred the, the big conspiracy theory. Mm. Which got very convoluted mm-hmm. t- towards the end. Yeah. I mean, the, I think it, it it went south when they introduced the ganglion. They didn't have to do that. It, it was a very compelling story before they did, they introduced that, and it just it seems like they were just hopping on the because uh, what was that other show that uh, another paranormal theme show that Art Bell uh, appeared in the first episode? It was like um, something like. This is not the title, but it was like something like Paranormal State or something USA or whatever. It was on in the same time as as X Files or the same era. I don't remember the name of it, but they had the ganglion on that freaking show, and I'm sure somebody who's listening knows the name of it. Yeah. But uh, it's just a stupid concept, the ganglion. Give me a break. <laughs> That's got so angry. <laughs> they ruined it. They when you invest six years in a storyline and then you just piss it away in the last say two that's that's not doing your your fans any any service by doing mm-hmm. that you know we lost david for a little while he'll be back so if you guys got anything to talk about let fly 
I picked up uh, Annihilation Conquest um, Volume 1 as I'm getting through all my Annihilations. So I'm going to have quite the hardcover collection of these. Now, speaking of Scott Collins, what did you think of the... uh the pre- the prelude the annihilation con- no he didn't do the conquest i'm talking about annihilation what did oh. you think of the annihilation prelude because when that came out there were guys at the local comic shop they wanted his head they just I, did not like it i liked it i thought it was great too yeah. but i, I didn't yeah. think anything wrong with it but there were guys like oh my god this artwork's horrible what are you looking at uh, i wouldn't say it was horrible but wouldn't be in my, my thought your cuppa wouldn't be my top of the stack. Well, another uh, artist that was recently slammed for horrible artwork was Larry Stroman. Our buddy, oh. e- our, <laughs> our buddy Ian <laughs> was on the CGS forum saying, "Oh my God, this this uh, what is it? Uh, X Factor." Ian uh, I, I, Ian No Taste Levenstein. Your your former co-host, I believe, That's and, right. and fellow That's Jew. Right. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, we can't. We can't it's, all be right. You know, it's like I, a freaking club, fellows. <laughs> you. Oh. Is there a secret handshake? Uh, no, there isn't. I, it's yeah. It's the Spock. Uh, live long and prosper. Jesus. Uh, I didn't I, think it was that bad. The Stroman art. Yeah. Or no, it wasn't. It. It, it, uh, it's Larry Stroman. I mean, he's you know he draws people. I'm I'm just glad that we've gotten away from. Or hopefully we're getting away from, say, Jamie Madrox looking like Matthew Perry or, or wrestler John <laughs> Cena. I'm, I mean, I'm happy if that happens. Larry Stroman, you can actually t- you can tell he's drawing this all you know freehand, or or mm-hmm. you know it's just it's it's his design style, and it's not it's not the X Factor from the '90s. Yeah, it's Peter David writing the X Factor, and Madrox is in it, and Strong Guy is in it. But you also have, you know, Siren and and Monet and and Richter, and it's it's Larry Stroman drawing a superhero comic book, and and it doesn't get it. it that's up there. I'm not going to say it doesn't get any better than that, but that that's up there. And it this is this was a really good issue. It's it's a new creative team. It's a new direction. The X Factor team is in Detroit, and and. Strowman draws people like you would expect them to be drawn. If he draws a crowd of people, you're going to have some overweight people. You're going to have some ugly people. You're going to have just normal-looking dudes and dudettes, right. and that's what you got. Just to play devil's advocate for a second, if if you had not been introduced to Larry Strowman's style in the past, it does kind of take you back well, at, at first because he's got that straight and curve thing that he uses very well where somebody would be a little put off by that if they're used to say Pablo Ramondi or yeah, you know stuff that came Dennis before. Calero yeah the stuff that came before though was to my eye a lot more referenced than Strowman stuff because we started off X Factor with Ryan Sook so you mm-hmm. go from Ryan Sook to Dennis Calero and Pablo Ramondi and Koi Fam, and you have you have artists that kind of use the photo reference that we were talking about last yeah. week. I would hazard to guess that Strowman doesn't use any at all. Right, and and right. and he's got he's got some you know he's got weird stuff going on behind the panels. He actually takes the time to draw stuff going on the. He'll take the comic book page and and design it out, I guess, and then draw the panels and mm-hmm. and what's going on in it. And you know, Longshot is in this issue, and and She Hulk and Jazinda, who's in She Hulk, and 
it's who the hell's Jacinda? She, she she's a scroll that is uh that that's friends with uh, with Jen Walters. With she yeah. Right. Oh. So it's uh, so so there's so not only is there a scroll in Runaways spoilers, there's also a scroll in She-Hulk, and 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 these two scrolls, I think we can assume. Am I am I thirteen? Don't forget about John the Scroll. Yes, and John the Scroll. So so there are some scrolls that 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 are that are sympathetic to or or are against the invasion, but uh, and. I think if there's one thing I can I can say that I'm not real keen on as far as this issue of X Factor, which I think is 33, is that it it continues into She-Hulk, which is another Peter David written comic book. But if you don't want to read this little SI tie-in, you're going to have to ignore these few issues of X Factor and these few issues of She-Hulk, which sucks because it's... Larry Stroman, and it's it's a new team, and it's a new direction, and the same thing with She-Hulk. Peter David is is teamed up with a new art team, and and it's kind of I don't know if it's a new direction for She-Hulk, but it it it's one of those things where now it sucks if it's a tie-in, and all this other stuff is is going on with it at the same time. But as far as Larry Stroman and a Peter David comic book, man, it this is X Factor. I'm I'm loving it. I'm I'm on for the long haul as long as these two are on it. He, his stuff is very stylized. Yes, it but, is. But but wonderfully so. But it's and it's that. and it's it's just it's so different than what you'll get from you know next week's Greg Land drawn Uncanny X Men five hundred or Ooh. or or Billy Tan on uh, on on New Avengers and you know and and not I'm not comparing I'm not grouping him in with these people but a Larry Stroman drawn comic book is different than a than, than a Michael Lark Daredevil. Michael Lark is Stefano Guadiano. And next week's, um, I've seen preview pages of next week's Immortal Iron Fist. And while Travel Foreman is not David Aja, nor is he trying to be, I think, I think Marvel's trying to do something a little bit, and you just called Stroman stylized. I think Marvel might be trying to do something with some of their books where the art is a little. I don't want to say, you know, it put you know you're taken aback by it, but it's not, it's not what's going on in the issues prior to it. Ah. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, this is Tom Morris. I, I've been posting the form a lot. I just love the show. I had a question for all of you. I hope that maybe if you hear this, you might want to talk about this on tonight on the next show. I posted this on the forum as well, and I saw some good responses, but the question was, what what is the worst jumping of a sh- of the shark in a comic book? Like, what do you, what what event happened in a comic book that made you put down that comic for good, or comics in general? I posted the thing that made me finally give up reading comics for a long time with Maximum Clonage, probably the dumbest thing Marvel ever did to Spider-Man besides Brand New Day. Uh, if you are, uh, if you guys have any feedback, I'd love to hear it on the show or just post it. Thanks. Has Mrs. or the ex Mrs. Johnny Storm showed up? Yes, oh, yeah. in, uh, really. In, in, in Secret She's... Invasion, Fantastic Four, in the three right. issue miniseries, yeah. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Yeah, which oh, yeah. is which is written by the guy that Bill Jameis wanted to take over the Fantastic Four from Mark Wade, but that didn't happen but it's drawn by uh by barry kitson and yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's a pretty cool three issue mini 
Mm-hmm. Now, is she on the side of the uh, the Earthlings, or is she working for the Skrulls? Can't say. At first, at first, she's working for the. No, I mean, I can't say because the the, the mini hasn't finished yet. At first, oh, okay. she is she is trying to take Johnny Storm out. She's yeah. because even though it's called Secret Invasion, Fantastic Four, it's basically Johnny, Ben, Valeria, and Franklin, and Reed and Sue are off doing whatever they're doing because this is taking place pretty much while secret invasion is happening but miller and hitch's fantastic four really doesn't seem to be taking place in the same time doesn't take place in the same universe yes thank you um you know so if if you read si number four you know what happens you know what's going on with reed but sue we're not sure where she is but the miniseries kicks off with sue returning if you read the first issue of secret invasion you know that the Sue that entered the Baxter building was not actually Sue. And what happened in Secret Invasion number one, this three-issue miniseries basically takes off from there. And and at first, Lija does try to take Johnny out. And they're in the negative zone. And it's it, it it's some weird wait, stuff. Wait, hold on. It's in the, so it's not in the Savage Land? <laughs> no, no, oh, boy. no, 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 no Aven- New Avengers takes place uh, in the Savage Land. Welcome to the 13-issue Secret Invasion Savage Land miniseries. <laughs> and it, it, it's like it's like each each issue just needs to be called, you know, minute one, minute two, minute three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe they should not put issue, the spawn countdown issue, clock in there. Yeah, yeah, it's not issue three, it's minute three. <sighs> I'm sorry, okay. Wasn't it just you, a few weeks ahead. ago we all agreed we were going to emphasize the positive about comics? <laughs> yes. Well, he's positive, it sucks. Yeah, yeah <laughs> oh, I am positive. <laughs> well, anyway, back to Secret <sighs> Invasion Fantastic Four. It's written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, right. who Ooh. is going to be the writer on the stand. At least for yes. that. Oh, ex- yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. I have to say, the, the, uh, to David's point, so the first two issues came out. I was pretty confused. The first issue and the second issue, at least to the way I read it, took pretty big departures from one another. So I, I agree. It, I, I'm, it's a roll of the dice in my mind in terms of how three wraps things up. I, and if you told yeah. me Elijah was going to be, you know, because she loves Johnny, is going to end up being part of the hero heroic efforts here. I wouldn't be shocked if you were to tell me that they're going to wrap it up conventionally and she's going to be one of the villainesses and they're going to have to defeat her. I wouldn't be shocked. I, I'm really torn as to which way they intend for her to go. You um, know, no, go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, back in the day, I was probably one of the only ones that thought her presence in the Fantastic Four was a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Conceptually, it's cool. Yes. A member of the race of one of the Fantastic Four's greatest enemies is now married to one of them. That That's just neat. And DeFalco, he took a lot of heat for Elijah, didn't he? Well, yeah, because because they ended up basically throwing out the relationship that Byrne had started between Johnny and Alicia. He, which, he had... Which is kind of creepy. Well, yeah, that relationship... Is 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 wrong to begin with? I mean, you know, Johnny is a fucking dog. We know this, but I mean, for him to, but you know, for him and Alicia to hook up, and and even with Ben out being, you know, Ben Grimm, Space Ranger, Rocky, he was on another planet. Yes, he was, and but still, you know, it's not. I don't think enough time had passed for Johnny and Alicia to get it on, and and right. the Falco did, I guess, what he thought was best. And listen. 
this wasn't Alicia. This, you know, everything is still cool between Alicia and Ben, and and right. whoever was getting it on with Johnny was not Alicia. And he introduced this scroll. And yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, maybe as a character, it was cool, but it was the way that she was introduced, or the way the fans were shown this way. That yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think the heat was undeserved, but yeah, he's he's. Oh, what, what's going to happen when you when you take over from John Byrne anyway? And and even with Roger Stern, I don't know how how much flack he might have gotten during his run. I always thought she was kind of hot. Well, you would. And 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 we all know that the green space chicks. <sighs> yes, thank you, th- thank you, James. The <laughs> as far as as far as the third issue of this miniseries, just to wrap this point up. Um, well, we'll be wrapping everything up real soon. It's. It's. Um, I'm going to be interested to see, because the re- the third issue, <laughs> Franklin is the one who came up with. Franklin's the smartest kid in the room when you're standing next to Uncle Johnny and Uncle Ben. Um, he has an idea, and that's where the third issue is taking us. And I'm real interested to see if the third issue of this miniseries ties into the rest of the event, or if it's a throwaway little. Uh, this is how we got out of this miniseries and we're going to take it over from here. I, I just, I want to know if it's really going to have a bearing on what happens throughout the rest of this event, because Franklin comes up with the idea of we need to get to the 42. We need to get to the prison to get back home. And if there are people, if there are bad guys, if there are villains locked up or unregistered, heroes or villains locked up in in the in this prison and they can help us get back home is this just a little throwaway little idea or is this actually going to play a part in in secret invasion they still do they're still riffing on the registration thing mm-hmm. oh yeah uh, that's not going away next let's talk about something else <laughs> i uh i read um I'm halfway into the third volume of Secret of Secret of of, of uh, the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Nice. And uh, and I read the two volumes of Batman Under the Hood. Cool. Okay. I finished the first Starman trade and loved it. No can't surprise get, there. Yeah, you can't get too much better than that. Uh, it's interesting because Tony Harris's style has, I think, changed quite a bit. Now, does it change quite a bit over the course of Starman, or is it pretty much in that same vein over the series? No, I've heard it changes quite a bit over the series. I, I haven't. I just have the omnibus, so I don't know. But from what mm-hmm. Matt Kramer said, it does change quite a bit. Now, did you finish the first trade or the first omnibus? No, the uh, the omnibus. Okay, okay, yeah. That's so. I'm, I guess I'm what one sixth of the way through it because there's going to be six uh, omnibus, right? Yeah, something along those lines. It's Does anyone know when the next? How how are they going to stage these? Once every six months or so? Um, I just heard that it's going to be one a year. What? Wow! No, I would think shit. I would hope quarterly, but what? No, I don't well, think it's definitely quarterly. not quarterly because they solicited this one at least six eight months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's the next one is not going to be out until at least next year. It and falls to that. I that, read somewhere that there was going to be two next year. Okay, yeah, cool. it, w- it would make it would make sense to do them every. Well, they'll, they'll probably announce that this weekend, right? At San Diego. Mm, let's hope. Uh, Speaking of San Diego, 
Mm-hmm. Um, have any of you guys ever gone? And I guess I'm a little surprised that none of us are going this year. <laughs> well, if uh, it's no surprise that I'm not going this year. Mm-hmm. It's it's too too much of a commitment for me. Mm-hmm. It's you know the the distance and the expenditure that it would take, and and everyone who has gone always tells me, dude, you got to do it at least once in your lifetime, mm-hmm. and I probably will. Yeah, but it's not but, it's not a two day show though. No, it's not it's it's not a it's not a come in Thursday night and leave Sunday morning kind of. It it starts Thursday or it starts Wednesday night. It starts yeah, it starts like Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a week long thing, and it's it's not what it used to. be. I remember the Rick Geary drawing advertisements for San Diego Comic Con when it was mostly comics, and now obviously it's not just comics. But I want to go, like 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 Vince said, to experience it. But yeah, it's not something that uh, I'm in a real rush to do. Maybe two thousand nine <laughs> eleven o'clock comics can can podcast live from San Diego <laughs> live. And, and I should go because there's a lot of uh, toy dealers there. Oh yeah, the vinyl, the vinyl stuff, they, and they do these these crazy exclusives that you can only get at that show. And maybe they'll do ten of them, fifteen of them, you know. So if you're not there, you you, you unfortunately you're not getting one. Yeah, I think we have every intention of uh, of going uh, the Around Comics crew. So that's kind of that's kind of our. Um, private goal, I guess. Well, not private anymore. Is that is that we want to uh, we want to go to San Diego next year? So you know, it's time. They haven't gone yet. So, and everyone says you got to do it at least once. Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, well plus San Diego it. is a beautiful city. So mm-hmm. that's a place I could actually mm-hmm. take the wife, and she would be happy to while away her time elsewhere. I miss the San Diego Zoo. <laughs> I went there for well, not, not not for uh, you know not not for. You know, carnal knowledge or anything, just, you know, because I used to live in Arizona and we were pretty much 20 minutes away from San Diego, so. Oh, I would love to live in Arizona. I loved Arizona. It's fucking hot. It's a dry ah. heat, though. It's a dry yeah, heat. Yeah, it is. It ah. is. It's dry. Well, we're petering out. We're all tired, I guess, and, and it's just, it's, it's the natural ending point to yet another episode. We got about an hour and a half in the can. Want to keep them happy. Um, yeah, remind people to uh, to drop by the iTunes Music Store and uh, and leave a review, which uh, I I not, not huh? for this episode. <laughs> you don't think so? Yeah. Okay. We, can't, we can't we can't bring it every time. It's... Oh, we we can bring it, but I think we left part of it <laughs> <laughs> back there. Yeah, this was this was a hodgepodge. Yeah. There was no agenda. Yeah. There was no rage. There was just there's, there's uh, never an agenda. I was you neither know, angry no, nor I'm very just, well read this week. I didn't read that much. Right, this that's week. what I'm saying. You know, normally the four of us will get together earlier in the week and go, okay, you know, we ready? Who read what? We kind of we may not have a game plan, but we're kind of on the same page more or less. But this week we were just, you know, scattershot. Right. Touched on I, this. I read that. so much shit this week. Power of Shazam. Awesome. The first oh, issue. Kunkel's awesome. Yeah, it was just so great, and I'll so tell you, good. the uh, a really meaty read for a Johnny DC title. Uh, okay. One complaint about it, though, what just because I bought it for my sons, mm-hmm. um, you know, having that much stuff to decode for a little kid ain't going to get it done. Yeah, there was way too a much lot. stuff to, to decode. I mean, little kid's not going to do that. He's going to get bored and say, "I'm not going to read this." Yeah, so, so I think relative to the audience, probably a misstep. 
but beautifully drawn and entertaining if you take the time to decode everything. Well, it wouldn't be so bad if it was just the first two pages, but then later on in the book, when the wizard, when Shazam, those pages, mm-hmm. I swear there was at least two big paragraphs of stuff you had to decode. Yeah, and about ha- 200 halfway, words, I think. Yeah, halfway through I was like, bullshit, I'm not doing this. Yeah. yeah I'll wait for somebody to post it on the internet, so I'll just read it that way. <laughs> nice. But another great Johnny DC title from last week was Legion of Superheroes. In the 31st century, I want to get the number for you because I got it right here. I think it's number 16 or 13. Sean McManus drew it. Oh, good Lord, it was gorgeous. It's number 16. It's it's a takeoff of the uh, famous uh, cover from, uh, I think it was Adventure Comics 247, you know, the the Legion uh, voting cover. With Cosmic Boy, and they're all pressing no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, th- this is the uh, the adventures of Arm Falloff Boy. <laughs> it's very cool. And Sean McManus, man, if there's anyone who has a knack for uh, a, a flair for the comedic, it's Sean McManus. It's a great issue. But uh, it's made me look at the Johnny DC stuff a little more closely. That's these cool. Bo- yeah. These books were both very high quality. Yeah, I'm going to start reading Marvel Adventures. Well, don't go that far. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, hey, uh, hey. I... <laughs> no, Where first of all, stuff out there, yes, man. there is. Jeff Parker, mm-hmm. Fred Van Linty. You have uh, yeah. you have Graham Nolan artwork. Remember Graham Nolan on Batman? Hell yeah. So, I mean, and Jeff Parker writing Marvel Adventures Avengers is pretty funny. It's it's Marvel that Adventures would, has some really good stuff. It would probably be my favorite Avengers book. It probably oh, would be. <laughs> but I'm serious. I love Jeff Parker. X-Men. Hey, at least you get a complete story. It only costs you two and a quarter. That's there you go. Well, and and hey, man, Jeff Parker. Anyone who did who passed up Agents of Atlas or um, X Men First Class, you're missing ooh, out. Yes. Oh, so good, so good. So there so is good. that. Is that fucking positive enough for you, Wood? That's very positive. And on that fucking note, positive. <laughs> I think we should we should You're a bastion of positivity. <laughs> well he's a bastion, all right. Oh, oh, nice. yeah. oh, you know, I was gonna ask, it's um you know, on the iTunes reviews, how should I feel if somebody left a a really positive review for eleven o'clock comics but then kind of slammed AC? Really? So, yeah. You should feel bad for Sal and Tom. Did somebody do that? Hello. What? Here, meet now. There's someone, a mysterious someone. unknown editor we, 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 uh, censoring things. No, it it, it it struck me as odd. I was like, are the shows really that different? I guess so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty different. Yeah. They are. Right. Huh? Yeah. yeah. You have a much more professional. Absolutely. It's not sure. del- delivery when you're on uh, uh, around comics, but here with us, oh. you, you're more you. Oh, go go read the review, and that's what makes it really funny. So, cool. but I'll, so I'll any, so that. so anyway, if you would if you would like to leave a review for the show, do that. It, it helps out uh, immensely. And then uh, um, drop by the forum. Where's that at, guys? Forum.bullpenbulletinspodcast.com. There you go. It, it is jumping. Yeah, it was yeah I'm, I'm begging it. Mm. And and you know, I do have to take a second while, while we're on the tail end because if they made it this far, they're going to stick around. I have to thank everyone who has welcomed this show because at this point on episode 12, we are getting as much downloads as David and I did 
for the last couple episodes of Bullpen Boltons. Because they love you, dude. Yeah, 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 no, no, and, no, no. and 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 with 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 Chris and 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 Wood, forget about it. Yeah, they we they've just gone above and beyond in in uh, embracing this show, and I and I'm sure you guys would like to thank everybody who has been so kind and uh, yeah, I get, I don't know what the word is, but you know, just thanks, thanks for downloading yeah, us, we're, thanks I, for listening. I guess yeah. grateful. Yeah, that's a word. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I, I have a great time with you guys. You know, I do I do the other show and that's you know, that's that's always gonna be my baby. I do this show because I enjoy talking with you guys. So that that's that's all the all the thanks and encouragement I need is just, right. is just doing this with you guys. So anything on top of that is gravy and it sounds like we got a lot of gravy. Oh yeah, but <laughs> but you know, it it is particularly gratifying when you got a bunch of people who want to hear what you have to say. That, that's very cool. Nobody gives a shit around my house. What I talk to my kids, it's like I'm not even there. So this is very cool. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And please join us next week, where I'm sure we'll have a much more polished effort for you. <laughs> yeah, might have a game plan. Yeah. I doubt it, but... Yeah, I know. Something like that. I'm giving them hope. Yeah. Say bye-bye. 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 Good night, Grace. Yeah. Stand